So this week, Max has developed a new great habit, which is screaming at bedtime. He does not enjoy going to bed at all, which is particularly bad for Alex because he's the one that does bedtime. So poor Alex, every now and again, I get a little message saying, please, can you come up? Because Max is just screaming the house down. So he has his bath. That's not a problem. He loves his bath, smiling, kicking, and he'll feed happily for about four hours and then suddenly it's like he realizes bedtime's getting close and he just screams, loses the plot. This is Cass, mum to nine-week-old baby Max. And this week we're also joined by Cass's longtime friends Katie and Charlie, who are also first-time mums to baby Ina and baby Jazz. Together we're exploring the world of six to ten-week-old babies. We talk about baby catnaps, what they are and how to prevent them. I share some advice on how to help the mums settle their little ones at bedtime, including watching away times, using weighted blankets and swaddling. And the mums ask me to weigh in on whether little ones under three months can be expected to sleep through the night and whether we should be giving them a dummy. So don't go anywhere. For more about sleep, smiles and developing gross motor skills in the fourth trimester, join me together with Cass, Katie and Charlie as we parent with sense. Welcome to Sense by Meg Fora, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Fora, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the Parent Sense app, and catch Meg here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back. I'm Meg Fora, and I am delighted to be your host as we journey with new parents through the joys and questions that are part and parcel of the first year of parenting. And this week, we are back with Cass, mum to Max, to hear all about the hot topics of a mum to a nine-week. Is he nine weeks old, Cass? Yeah, and it was nine weeks on Monday, yeah. It's unbelievable how time is flying. And Cass, you have got two friends who are joining us here today. Let us know who has joined us. I have my two friends from uni, and we've all had babies around the same time. So there's uh, Kate's or Katie, who has got baby Isla, who also is my goddaughter, very proud godmum. And Kate's, how many weeks is Isla? She's five weeks. Five okay. weeks. And then Charlie, who has had baby Jazz, who is four days older than Max. So I'm get, about to turn 10 weeks. Is that right, Charlie? Yeah, she is 10 weeks on Friday. Well, welcome, Katie and Charlie. We are absolutely delighted to have you both here with us. And as usual, Cass and I just kind of shoot the breeze, talk a little bit about what happened in her week. And maybe, Cass, we could actually kick off there. And maybe as Katie, Charlie, if things come up for you that you're experiencing at the same time, then you can just jump in as well and we can just share what this week of, of motherhood looks like. So this week, Max has developed a new great habit, which is screaming at bedtime. He does not enjoy going to bed at all, which is particularly bad for Alex because he's the one that does bedtime. So poor Alex, every now and again, I get a little message saying, please, can you come up? Because Max is just screaming the house down. So he has his bath. That's not a problem. He loves his bath, smiling, kicking, and he'll feed happily for about four ounces. And then suddenly 
it's like he realizes bedtime's getting close and he just screams, loses the plot. That's fascinating, Cass. And he wasn't doing that before because you'd put him down and you could kind of keep your hands on him and he'd settle without without crying. Yeah, no, he was an absolute dream to go down. But for the last three nights, it's just been screaming, absolute screaming. And has anything changed on his day sleeps? No, nothing's changed on his day sleeps at all. He he had the first night he started doing it, he had his worst night's sleep that he's actually had apart from the vaccination night. Mm. He had a terrible night that night. We were up almost every 45 minutes. He was doing one sleep cycle and then waking up. Um, and then the next night he kind of went back to normal. And then the following night he did seven hours, you know, straight through until about three in the morning. And then he did his feed and then one other feed at, at five, you know, straight through until 5.30ish. And, and then last night, last night we were, we're now staying at my mum and dad's because they're going away and we're looking after the house. So he woke up every two hours last night, but mm-hmm. I do think that might have been because we're in a different place, but he was going down mm-hmm. really quickly again. But it's just when Alex is doing the bedtime routine, he just starts Scream like well, we've never heard him make that noise before. <laughs> That's really interesting. And I mean, just talking about that, what time is he waking in the afternoon from his last sleep of the afternoon? So I'm trying to give him a sleep, a, a sort of power nap that that he goes up for his bath between six and six thirty. So I'm trying to give him a power nap where he's waking up between five and five thirty. Okay, so that's absolutely perfect. So you're aiming for about an hour before Mm. bedtime. So one of the things that you can actually start to do, Cass, and just for everybody's purposes, we're talking about awake times here. So what are those awake windows that are optimal to make sure little ones settle quite easily? And what happens as they get older, those little awake windows lengthen a bit. And if we don't, if we're not on top of it, if we're not watching that lengthening, we actually, we're putting them down too early. And when they actually are not quite tired enough, which it could be. So the awake windows for his age right now is 60 to 80 minutes. And what we generally say is the 60 minute awake windows, um, hold on to those for the morning sleeps and stretch them towards 80 minutes for the afternoon sleeps. And so I would actually start to um, leave 80 minutes between his last nap of the day and bedtime, just so he's a little bit more tired and ready to actually settle down. The bedtime being um, when he's going up for his bath. So when we start, no, so you see it is, he's going up for his bath about 45 minutes to an hour after um, he wakes from his last day okay, sleep. So that should be fine. Okay. So then, so what, what time is he actually lights out? What time is lights out? Well, with all this screaming, he's not settling until about eight o'clock. So it's about an hour and a half of bedtime. He's not settling until eight o'clock and mm. he's awake at five. Yeah, because he goes up for his bath yeah, and then he's all fine. And then he, but he, he, he and he's, at the time we would usually start to put him down mm. is when he starts screaming suddenly. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to experiment with those awake times. I mean, I think in principle, 90 minutes or 80 minutes to complete lights out, like when, when he should be actually asleep. And often that means that for about 15 minutes before you're doing the rocking and the settling and the shushing. So they're getting into a drowsy state. So try and aim for then, I mean, it would be aiming for 60 minutes with lights out and then 80 minutes for, for him to be completely down. um, I would suggest either of you, Katie and Charlie, are either of you two experiencing that? I was going to ask a question actually with Isla obviously she's five weeks so she's she's half the age she's way behind mm. where you guys are but she we fight she like micro naps so yes. I mean the sleep's like was 40 minutes but she's a little cat nap she does she yeah naps. so you know we don't have that sort of lovely <laughs> like time 
because she'll go down for 15, 20 minutes and then she'll be up again for like an hour and then she'll have another. Yeah. Yeah. So at bedtime, we are trying to start getting her into routine with bath and things. But I do, like, it does take about an hour and a half to get her mm. yeah. down through the witching hour. Yes. <laughs> so, so first of all, I mean, I love that you've brought up this catnapping thing because it, weirdly, I was actually just busy writing an article for my website on exactly the subject. So there's two kind of classifications that people think of when they think of catnaps. The one is that 45 minutes um, sleep, which is often when little ones, and I know that uh, Max certainly did it when he was very little, they would sleep for very long stretches to for like three, four hours between sleeps, between feeds. And then suddenly they start to do these 45 minutes. And we consider those to be catnaps. Now, I absolutely know that that's not what you're talking about, but I'm just prefacing it with, with this information. So if little ones are doing 45 minute naps, that's actually coming into the natural sleep or light sleep state. And that's why they're only doing 45 minutes stretches. So the 45 minutes is actually not a catnap. It's actually a typical sleep stretch for this age. And it starts at around about six weeks and it goes all the way through, unfortunately, until about six months. So most babies don't really link their sleep cycles um, until they're six months old. And then at that point, they're on lovely solids and they start to link their sleep cycles again for lunchtime. Um, some babies do link two sleep cycles together. I think Max might still link a couple of his sleep cycles together, but many babies don't. But actually what you're talking about, Kate, is different. That is real catnapping. So that is when you've got a 10 to 20 minute stretch of a sleep and then they wake up at that point. Now, the reason that babies do that is that they're waking for what's called the hypnagogic startle. Now, a little bit of background to that is that we all suffer from these hypnagogic startles. Basically, we all have normal muscle tone that we can kind of exist in the world and act out on our thoughts throughout the day. And then as we go to sleep, our bodies actually lose muscle tone as we go into a deep state of sleep. And you will know that you would have done this when you were sitting on a plane and you kind of had nodded off. And as your body kind of slumps, you wake yourself up. And that's what's called the hypnagogic startle. Now, little babies do this as well, except what happens with them is that it actually is enough to wake them up. And it's particularly so if you've got a more sensitive baby. So in the case of Max, for instance, he is, he's got a much higher threshold for sensory information. So he might never have been woken by his hypnagogic startle. He just kind of slept through it. But Isla might actually be a, a little bit more sensitive. And so when she does her little hypnagogic startle, which will look to you like a reflex, it'll look like her, her fingers just go wide in that moment, or her arms might even actually just shoot out at that moment. And yeah. that's actually the hypnagogic startle. And because she's more sensitive, she's actually waking herself up with it. Now, there are things that you can do for it, actually. So a couple of things is, number one, what works really well for it is swaddling. So and I know that some mums will say to me, my baby doesn't love swaddling. And Cass and I have spoken about the controversy that exists around swaddling, but I'm actually a very big and strong advocate for swaddling. And it definitely is one of the things that can limit those hypnagogic startles. Because what it does is that as they kind of do that little jerk, it's almost like they're moving against the uterine walls and they kind of do the jerk against it where they're contained and therefore they can sleep through it. So step number one, definitely swaddle. And when you're talking about swaddling, you've got to swaddle really, really tightly. So I'm not talking about kind of loose swaddling. It's got to be at shoulder level, arms towards the midline and really, really tight so that you can kind of withhold that, that reflex. That works. The other thing that works is actually white noise, interestingly, because white noise helps little ones to sleep in a slightly deeper state of sleep. So that can work as well. And then leaving your hand on her is actually probably the biggest tip because what you do is you actually get her through that 10 to 15 minute hypnagogic startle. And once she's through that, she'll move through and do her 45 minutes or potentially actually link two sleep cycles. So it's just getting her through that that'll make the big difference. Okay. 
that's interesting actually because it do, I do find that she does settle deeper. It, she she almost puts my hand on her chest, like yeah. if I put put it there, and like you know, with a bit of pressure, she seems to settle much. I think she's quite sensitive. Yeah, Yeah, it's, I mean, it's fascinating, these different personalities. And I think we should definitely come on to that just now. But it's also one of the reasons why when a mom says to me, um, she'll only, she'll sleep for very long stretches when she's on me. The minute I put her down, she wakes up. It's often that hypnagogic startle. So mm. leaving your hand on her is a good idea. I've spoken about the Zeki, which is a product, a slightly weighted little product in the shape of a hand, but you can actually use any slightly weighted product to actually leave on her just for a little bit as she falls asleep, because not, not up near her face, but just across her tummy, just so that as she's falling asleep, um, she feels like there's a bit of something kind of containing her. That can be also a good tip for that. On that, Meg, because we've been using that with Max, because I think we spoke about it again last week, but you mentioned as they're falling asleep, is it right that we should be taking that off kind of after 20 minutes or is it okay to leave it on or? So Cass, you can leave it on all night if, with, and there's a, there's a couple of caveats here. The one is your baby has to be sleeping on their back. So yeah. we only do it with babies who are, sl- are sleeping on their back. Um, if a baby's sleeping on their tummy or their side, we don't use it. And also you need to keep it quite light. So we like those not to be anything more than 10% of body weight. So it's it's actually, it's not a heavy weight. It's really just like something that's that's just slightly weighted. And in those circumstances, you can leave it on. But again, the right position to put it is across the tummy, not up on the chest. And then they won't then be flopping it over their, their head, for instance. So yes, I, you know, you can leave it on. And I certainly le- left mine on with my three children overnight, but I did make sure that it wasn't anywhere near their face. The, the sleep safety guidelines are not to have anything in the cot with your baby. But, you know, I, I certainly do use this with babies who are just really unsettled and are not giving their mums good stretches because I think a good stretch of sleep for a mum is, is just so important. Yeah. I know we had we had it and now it seems to be all over the place. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. And Charlie, how's it going for you? It's good actually. I was saying to the girls, she is sleeping for like seven, eight hours solidly all the way through the night. It's amazing. But I'm really making sure that I'm swaddling her really tight when she goes to sleep. I'm putting on the white noise and the little Moses baskets. And I also found that giving her expressing and giving her some milk before bed but the stuff that I'm expressing in the morning so it's my mum was it's the cream in the morning mm. that you'd expect so giving her that is really making her sleep better mm. and solidly throughout the night and and if she does sort of make a little murmur I can put a dummy in I shall nod off straight to sleep again so yeah it's going quite well this episode is brought to you by Parent Sense, your parenting app As an avid user, I can safely say that ParentSense is the all-in-one baby development app that helps mums and dads keep track of their baby's routines and really takes the guesswork out of parenting in the first year of a baby's life. Meg, tell us what makes ParentSense so special. So ParentSense is my love child. I developed it because I felt that parents needed a little manual in their pockets, and that's what it is. It gives parents routines for their baby's day. They flexible routines for sleep and for feeding. And then it also gives them a play activity for every single day, 365 for the first year of life, as well as recipes and meal plans. So it really, unlike most other apps, it covers absolutely every aspect of early parenting. There, you heard it straight from the expert. Download ParentSense app now from your app store. Sign up for a lifetime subscription on the website, parentsense.app, and take 50% off when you use the discount code parentpod at checkout. 
take advantage of this incredible offer. It's exclusive to podcast listeners. Download the app now and take the guesswork out of parenting. So we certainly do have little ones that are 10 weeks old are starting to sleep throughout the night. And, you know, when, when moms talk about sleeping through, we're talking about anything from eight to 10 hours at night, which is what mm. exactly what it sounds like Jazz is doing, which is fabulous. The one thing with the dummies, how frequently is she waking? How frequently does she need that dummy through the night? Not often. I think sometimes it's happened a couple of times sort of at three, about three, I'll just pop the dummy in. So I don't know whether or not, because this it, it doesn't sound like she's, in distress or, or needing a feed or, or, or a nappy change. So I don't know what your thoughts are with sort of. Yeah. Little... So, and what time is bedtime? Just, just to understand bedtime, what the stretch it's a, is. So bedtime, used to, I used to feed her up half nine and then put her down around 10-ish. But now I'm putting her down around nine-ish. So I'm trying to have more of an evening mm. as well. So about nine o'clock I'm putting her down. You're pulling it back a bit. Okay, yeah. So look, I think, I mean, if, if she's going down, ideally you do want to move that bedtime earlier and earlier just yeah. because we find that babies set up better sleep habits long-term if they're going to bed, you know, kind of between six and seven or seven and eight at the latest um, at this yeah. age. If she was going down between seven and eight and she was waking at three for a feed or waking at f- stirring at, at three, I probably would be feeding her Okay, because... You know, it's a very long stretch. Look, she's only going from nine until three. So it's not, it's actually, what is that? That's probably six hours. So, you know, you can stretch her with a dummy. But if she wakes again after that, I would certainly be feeding her because one of the one of the risks we have is getting into that dummy habit where we're just kind of fobbing off the feed. And a couple of things can happen there. One is that potentially she actually needs that feed, but maybe she's quite a settled little one and therefore is not kind of pushing it. And maybe she won't gain weight as well as she should be and maybe she's actually needing that feed and the other thing is that we can end up with a dummy habit so you know if, I mean if there are moms who are listening I know this isn't the case with you but if there's a mom who's listening whose little one's waking at 11 1 and 3 and she's fobbing that off with a dummy 11 1 and 3 you are likely to actually develop a dummy habit which is something we don't want to do but if she's going from 9 until 3 it's only 6 hours and and she and you can fiber off with the dummy. That's fine. But certainly, as you move that backwards, if she was going down at seven or eight and she was waking at three, I would probably be doing a feed. What often happens is that they actually kind of wake for it. You you put in the dummy and then they wake again half an hour later. So nobody's getting any more sleep anyway. And that's the situation where we would rather just give a feed and let them get on with it. How, how is her weight gain? Her weight gain is what is she now? She's ten pounds eleven. So yeah, she does. I think. I think she does need to put on a little bit more weight. Yeah. Well, we don't worry. Look, I mean, I mean, the whole thing with weight gain, and this is something that, I mean, Cass knows that I don't push weight gain to follow a specific curve because we know actually that babies don't do that. And, and I don't like the curves because they end up pushing babies into like, this is the norm and this is what all babies should be doing. The important thing with weight gain is that you don't want it to flatten. So if you go for one weight gain to the next and it's flat and then a second weight, a second way and it's flat again, that's when we worry. And the other time we worry is on those norm curves, if you actually cross a line, actually either up or down. So in other words, if the weight gain goes, um, you, you know, if, if you were born on the 50th centile and you go into the 75th and then into the 93rd, you know, you kind of end up really crossing weight lines then and that's when we when, when we prefer babies not to do that so I'm not I'm never hysterical about weight gain as long as it's consistent and as long as it's there from week on week can I ask a question about bedtimes because mm. you said to Charlie you know you want your bedtime to sort of be a bit earlier obviously again I was a bit younger so 
we we obviously don't put her to bed until we go to bed because she has to go to bed in the same room as us. Mm-hmm. But we do try and have like a quiet time where she goes into her Moses basket downstairs with us at like seven and we turn down the lights and everything gets much quieter. But she's not in a separate room and she's not, I'm not putting her upstairs on her own. So that's not really her official bedtime. Her official bedtime is like 9.30, 10. But she has like that final feed before the sort of we get so she's very little still so flexibility is fine and I know for Cass Max was doing exactly the same he was actually going mm. down while they were having dinner downstairs but certainly as they start to approach 14 weeks so between now and 14 weeks you actually want them going down in their consistent sleep space and the reason for that is that at 14 weeks they start to have sleep associations where what happened the way that I was put to sleep for my previous sleep is what I expect now and so for that reason we really do want a, a fair amount of consistency so my suggestion and I know Cass has started to put it in place already is to actually get a good baby monitor and to start to actually have bedtime happening in their own room it's it's not I, I think that it is the age even from now six six weeks old between now certainly and 12 weeks you do want them to be going going down in their own room with a baby monitor monitoring them and so obviously the advice so even if she's because she'll stay in our room I think until she's four months because that's sort of Mm-hmm. This sort of hammered home by the mm-hmm. NHS here, like, don't cut them anywhere else until they're mm-hmm. at least four months old. Mm-hmm. But from like six to seven weeks, we can put her up in our room with mm-hmm. a baby monitor and be downstairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And it's good for her sleep habits to, to be doing that as well. Um, okay. You know, that the, the room is dark, the room is separate. It's, it is a sleep space. And then actually all the way through into the toddler years, I talk with mums about actually never leaving the room after bath time because you then, I mean, you can literally fox your child into believing that the world stops at bath time um, if you've always <laughs> been consistent with that. And that is something that you're going to want when they're toddlers. You know, you don't want them to know that they could come downstairs or whatever. So yes, I would actually be putting in place that she can go down after bath in her own room and you mentioned right at the beginning that you're starting to look at actually putting in place a bedtime routine which is great um, it's not you don't have to be religious and kind of enforce it at this age because she's still so little and we want flexibility but it does set them up for good sleep habits for sure yeah we're definitely trying we unfortunately she's got um, a problem with her umbilical cord so she can't have a bath every night but we're trying to the feet be at the right time you know yeah. as you say flexibility well actually that's you mentioned something very important there like do they actually need a bath every day because the reality is until they're rolling they actually are very clean babies are very clean really and so there's nothing wrong with what we call top and tailing so giving her a really good um, wipe down with some you know cold boiled water on cotton wool of her face and especially in those neck folds where they end up with all the curds going a little bit sour in there (laughs) (laughs) Um, and and of course around the bum area and all those lovely fat rolls as well so you want to do that really well but you do want to um you, you don't have to bath them every single night so um yeah i'm just loving looking at your faces and i have to just tell everybody what's happening right now so right right now jazz 10 weeks old is lying on charlie's lap and making eye contact and smiling yeah little smiles it's so rewarding when they give you their smiles oh my goodness oh now now she's gonna have some tears (laughs) (laughs) wow jazz let's keep those in my friend (laughs) 
Well, I, I actually wanted to tell you what what you guys just did there. I mean, just for everybody, what I just witnessed, I can't see Jazz's face at all, but I can certainly see Charlie and, Ke- and Katie's face and their eyes just lit up. Their eyes became wide and they were smiling and really focused in on little Jazz's face. Now, what's fascinating about that is human beings are completely hardwired to do what we call serve and return. Um, and serve and return is actually a phrase that was developed by the Harvard Center for the Developing Child. And it kind of speaks to the fact that when babies do something, we immediately respond back because they are so cute, which was written all over your face. Yeah. And when you do that, when you <laughs> smile back at her and you open your eyes and you raise your eyebrows and you open your mouth and she sees your white teeth and the whole story, it then reinforces for her that actually, this is exactly what I want to do. I want my mum to now smile at me and look at me. And that's the foundation for all future relationships. So she is busy wiring in her brain that there is a response from a human being, which is actually the foundation for language as well. So I love watching what you guys have been doing because that's, yeah, <laughs> you are wiring her brain just perfectly as you do that. So one of the experiments to actually do is to actually make a position with your mouth. For instance, hold your mouth open and then stick your tongue out and then hold it very still for a while. And what you'll actually find is she'll actually start to mimic that and to copy it. It's a, it's a very Ooh. interesting thing. It's actually a reflex. And so Max probably won't do it anymore because he's now a little bit older and he's losing his reflexes. But certainly for Isla, who's only six weeks old, she's probably still doing those social reflexes, which are oh, amazing cool. to watch. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a go. You must. Do I can't that. wait till she first files. She hasn't done that yet, so I'm really hoping any. I get the first one. <laughs> It'll be any day now, won't it? It will be. It's one of the most hardwired milestones. I mean, other milestones, like for instance, crawling can happen anywhere between seven months and 11 months. But smiling is like it will happen for all babies pretty much worldwide at six weeks. Really? And we do find that our, our slightly more irritable and, and sensitive babies sometimes are slightly on the later side of normal. So maybe six to seven weeks. And then little ones who really laid back and social tend to do it actually a little earlier. So even like three or four weeks, you can start to see it. Talking of milestones, Meg, I was going to ask because I saw that um, the sort of some of the things that he might start to do and to look out for are rolling from side to tummy or from back to side even and also well that, that was sort of the main one oh and, and me pulling him up for sitting to sort of start to get used to that sitting motion are there things for that rolling? He's not really showing any sign mm. <laughs> of uh, rolling a bit. Should I be doing anything to encourage that? Yes. And actually the one that you just mentioned, which is pulling to sit is one of our best ones. So what I mentioned a couple of weeks ago is that rolling is actually dependent on good flexion and good extension muscles. So good tummy muscles and good back muscles. And the back muscles, we work on really hard by giving tummy time. Mm -hmm. And the tummy muscles, one of the ways we can work on the tummy muscles is actually with pull to sit. So what you should do is actually pop your hands behind his shoulder blades, almost like you're cupping his scapula uh, behind his, his shoulders. And then start to actually pull him up, first of all, like that. So, And what he's going to be working at hard then are working his flexor muscles of his neck because he's got to keep his head aligned with his neck at that time. And if he starts to, once he starts to do that, and you'll see initially, we actually watch for the lag because the lag initially will start, as you start to pull him up, his head stays down on the mat and then he mm-hmm. kind of pulls his neck up to in line. And then eventually when you just put your hands like that, he'll actually pull his neck forward himself because he knows what's coming, which is awesome. And then later on, you, you move your hands off his scapula and then onto his humerus, onto the upper part of his arms. And you pull up from there with a little bit of support around his, his um, kind of top of his shoulder. And then later on, 
you're actually going to pull to sit right from his fingertips. Like literally you're going to hold his hands and you're going to just pulling him up with his fingers. And as he does that, he's really going to be working his flexor muscles. And that would be a good thing to do, Cass. So that would be number one. Number two, having little things for him to push up against with his feet so that we work his uh, flexor yeah, muscles he, with his feet. I Loves now have feet. to, it, well, he does to the point where I almost have to feed him where there isn't an arm nearby <laughs> because he'll start kicking and pushing with his feet. I love it. I oh, know he's doing really well. And how, then, how, how often should, sorry, should you be doing tummy time? Every day, every single every day. day. And, and actually, in my advice is to do it in between every single feed as well. So literally, because for some babies, especially if they don't like it, it might only be like two minutes of tummy time, then you've got to do it in between every single feed. And if you're doing it like that, they get used to it from a young age and they actually then take to it quite happily, a whole lot more happily. I did I did tummy, tummy time today and I'd just given her a feed and I was like, right, let's try some tummy time. <laughs> Pops her on the, on the, just wash the, uh, just wash one of her lovely rugs and then it's like all the milk came out. It's <laughs> straight yeah. away. So it, I don't know whether you should leave it like a little five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, you can leave it for five minutes definitely definitely leave it for five minutes especially if she is one of the more kind of i call them oopsie babies you know they actually she oopses more often if she does do that then you would you would let her milk settle a little bit and then yeah. pop her down um but actually when they're on their tummies they're not more likely to spit up when they're on their tummy um generally because okay. it actually holds in the valve at the top of their tummy so i would still be yeah. giving her lots of tummy time Okay, and perfect. On on the topic of tummy time, <laughs> Max <laughs> has also developed a new habit because I, I, I'm not going to call my newborn baby lazy, but, <laughs> but, when, but when he lies on his tummy, he will just lie down and start <laughs> grinning and having a great time. Cassidy. Um, well, it's a settled a settled baby. And my middle child was a settled baby too. And they actually are just quite happy not to, you know, fight the status quo. So yeah, yeah. Really that tummy. <laughs> he's having a lovely he's laughing and smiling, yeah. but just lying down. Yeah. And I have to really <laughs> when he does lift his head, I feel like I'm training it, I am looking after dogs at the moment, so dogs are on my on my mind, but I do feel a little bit like I'm training him in that way because yeah. I'm rewarding him with <laughs> Good boy! <laughs> when he lifts his head, it is like. But is that, there anything so, else I can do yeah. to encourage it? Yeah, so definitely put a towel underneath his chest um, mm-hmm. just to prop him up slightly, and put something very interesting in front of him. Because if he's got a towel under his chest, he's just that he's got a little bit more support, so he is more likely to raise his head. Okay. Okay. So ladies, this has been absolutely amazing. I could go on chatting to you for hours and hours. I think we should do this at least once a month so that we can catch up with with everything that's happening. But you have certainly got very precious babies. And I think it's just so special that you're going through this all at the same time. It really is. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And we've got a little WhatsApp group that we fire a little... Is this happening to you or did this happen oh, or yeah. what's going on? Or, oh my gosh, I can't put him down or I can't do this. Or, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. It's lovely it's, to be able to share it. Yeah. And they're so different, but even though they're so different, it's like there are still similarities of like what mm-hmm. we're going through. Mm-hmm. Irrelevant mm-hmm. at the babies. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the most special thing is that you've got the sisterhood of motherhood, that you guys are supporting each other and that's really what's needed. So... Thank you both so much for joining us, Kate and Charlie. Lovely to meet you both. And Cass, we'll chat again next week. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Meg. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.